Louise Kink had been four years old for just two days when she boarded Titanic with her family. Her father, Anton, a storekeeper, her mom, also Louise, her uncle, Vincennes, and her aunt, Maria. The Kinks were immigrating to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where an uncle lived, from Zurich, Switzerland, and traveled in third class. Like so many families on board, feeling light and jubilant in the comfort of third class on this ship. Louise's daughter, Joan Randall, 85 years later, wondered when she saw James Cameron's Titanic whether little Louise, her mother, dark curls and ribbons, might have spun around on the dance floor like little Cora in the movie. Her mother loved dancing. Anton and Vincent were in one of the G-deck cabins that flooded first that night, splashing in the initial inches of water as they dressed and then hurried to find the women and Louise in a cabin closer to the stern. From what we know of the difficulties facing third-class passengers, particularly those who didn't speak English as a first language, it's nothing short of a miracle that Anton navigated part of his family to the upper decks in time to board a lifeboat. Maria and Vincent, unfortunately, were lost to them in the crowd and passed away in the sinking. Louise and her mom stepped into lifeboat number two, and Anton remained on deck. At the last moment, Anton jumped into the empty spot in the boat. A week after the sinking, he told the Milwaukee Journal, quote, A sailor took my child and handed her into one of them, the lifeboats. My wife was also helped in by the sailors. I was touched upon the shoulder and asked to step back, whereupon my wife and child cried at the top of their voices at my being left behind. I ducked down, broke through those standing about, and jumped into the boat, as it was lowered. And so the whole family huddled together and survived that night. Louise would live until 1992 and in later years attended meetings of Titanic enthusiasts, organizations, traveled the country talking about Titanic, testified in support of preserving the wreck site. But according to her daughter, she didn't remember any of that night because the sinking had caused traumatic amnesia. Kink actually didn't remember anything before age seven, but she wanted to talk about Titanic. Until her death, she worked to process what had happened, what she'd witnessed somewhere in the you know back recesses of her brain. She wanted to talk about the trauma that her family had been through and the tiny shoes she wore on board Titanic, which you can see photos of her clutching decades and decades later, are still with us. Part of her, part of her family, part of us. And they're just one of the artifacts related to children on Titanic that will be part of a year-long special remembrance at the Titanic Museum attractions in Branson and Pigeon Forge. I'm so lucky to partner with the museum and speak again today with Emily Densky, this time about the children of Titanic. I'm LA Beatles and welcome back to Unsinkable, the Titanic podcast. This is the year of the child with Emily from the Titanic Museum attraction. to begin, as I always do, by thanking my newest Patreon subscribers. I want to thank Monica and I want to thank Katie. 
It's amazing that you're supporting the pod this way. Thank you. And I am grateful every single day for all of my Patreon subscribers. Some of you have been with me since month three of this podcast. Uh, You literally fuel the podcast. You literally do. So thank you every day. I also wanted to share an email I got from a listener named Colin. He gave me permission to read part of his email. He is a listener and he is working to get a meetup group together of other Titanic enthusiasts in his area. So I wanted to share the information. So if you are in Florida, this is something that you can, you know, just take a look at. You might want to join in. I will include the meetup uh, website link in the show notes. But here's what Colin says. Quote, after listening to your podcast and getting swept up in the magic of Titanic once again, tends to happen to us all, right? Uh, He says, I was inspired to create a meetup group for Florida residents who are also Titanic enthusiasts. My ultimate goal is to build a community of people who are passionate about the film and the ship with the intention of meeting monthly. I would love to plan Titanic-themed dinner parties, discussion groups, ultimately rent out a local theater and have a screening of the 97 film. Sounds fun. (laughs) If you know any Florida-based Titanic fans who may be interested, please feel free to share. So I will share that in the show notes. And if you are in Florida, take a look at it. Might be fun to meet some other Titanic uh, people in your area. Uh, Speaking of meetups, I am doing an Asheville, North Carolina meetup on March 16th at 6 p.m. It's going to be at Burial Brewing Tap Room in Asheville. Just, it's going to be, have to be, <laughs> unfortunately, kind of on the shorter side. Uh, we are going to be in Asheville uh, for just a few days, and we've got a lot of other stuff going on, but I wanted to make sure to fit in a meetup. So it's just going to be from about 6 to 7.30. Come have a beer. They have great beer at Burial. If you're not a beer person, they've got tons of other things to drink. They also have wonderful food there. Uh, we'll just set up in one of the outdoor areas and hope for wonderful weather. Please, please reach out uh, via email or Instagram if you do think you're going to make it. I would love to get a sense of how many people are going to join. I'm excited to meet some people in the Asheville area. Uh, so many announcements. Uh, Merge is still live. The main unsinkable teas are now printing on demand. And so you can order those via Bonfire anytime you want. I, of course, always have that link in the show notes. Also, excited, excitingly, is that a word? I guess it is. Uh, I have launched the first of a series of listener-designed t-shirts. So these will be separate batches. The, these will be limited-run batches. They're run for 15 days. The first one is by a listener named Benjamin, who reached out a few months ago with these really cool sketches. And that turned into him adding some color and the unsinkable logo And it's the first design. It's the ship kind of you can see part of the ship in the waves. It's kind of a choppy graphic design of Titanic. Really cool. Got some splashes of color and it looks nice against the different. I've got four different options on t-shirt color. I think personally it looks really cool against the green color, which is the one that I ordered. So anyway, it's awesome. I want to support listeners and artists and independent artists, and all of the proceeds from this tea will go either directly to Unsinkable or to him. So the artists participating with me in these listener-designed campaigns, they are getting part of the profit from the campaign. So support the pod, support an independent artist. You absolutely cannot lose. Um, Any other announcements? I think that's it. I apologize 
really quickly, a couple of sniffles on my end in this interview with Emily. I didn't want to edit them out because they come at specific moments where she's speaking and it's important to hear what she's saying. But uh, I didn't quite realize how bad my allergies were that day. They were they were bad. And it's not anything too insane, but just a couple of times in there. And you're probably going to think, edit that out, but it just, I didn't want to ruin any of Emily's audio. So enjoy this interview with Emily about the year of the child. Of course, the museum's website is in the show notes. The theme, the memorial uh, program for year of the child is going on all year. And we talk about that and what artifacts are coming at different points in the year. I want to say thank you as always to Emily and everyone at the museum. This collaboration is such a wonderful experience for me and so wonderful for the podcast to be able to bring you these interviews. And the collaboration has really opened my eyes to a lot more of the individual stories of passengers, both victims and survivors, that I didn't even know about. And there's always another metaphorical page to turn, I mean, literal page, in many cases of the research to uncover the tiny, beautiful human details of every single one of these stories. So I think you're going to really enjoy this and stick around after I'm going to share a few notes and uh, some follow-up details about some of the children that we talk about. So here you go. All right. Hi, Emily. Thanks for coming back. Uh, Excited to have you here to talk about the children of Titanic, which I have touched on, especially in bonus episodes, and a few times on the main feed, touched on children's stories, but never spotlighted them, and arguably uh, very much so. They should be spotlighted. So Mm First, tell us what's going on at the museum to celebrate the Year of the Child, if you'll get listeners just a sense of everything that's going to be going on in terms of that. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me back. I always enjoy it. Um, So every year we like to spotlight a certain group of people. This year we have chosen the children on board, the 135 children um, that were on board Titanic. Um, It's really important to us. We're going to be having some really cool artifacts coming in. We're redesigning a lot of our galleries to really kind of shine a light on, you know, the children of Titanic. And you have some of your artifacts. um, I know at Pigeon Forge, particularly, you've always had a a little bit of a spotlight. I know the, um, the, is it a vest or top? That's a child's top, a girl's top, right? That is one of your main artifacts at Pigeon Forge. It's always been really moving yes so we have an entire we year round every year we've always had um our children's gallery which does spotlight the children of titanic um in that gallery you will see the the actual uh child's vest it's blue velvet it's actually very beautiful and people say it's actually for a boy not a girl which always shocks me because it looks very Mm -hmm. feminine but i'm thinking that's probably the style of 1912 um and that was recovered. That was part of, um, that is a Titanic artifact. So we do have. Yes. Um, it's my kids. Uh, when we went through a couple of summers ago, that was, I think the artifact that moved them the most as children to see that. And I think it really hit them, uh, pretty hard to see that. Um, so you'll, so you'll be spotlighting this all year. And Mm -hmm. what is the official, uh, start date for the year of the child? So March 1st, all of the installations and the new artifacts will be in Pigeon Forge. And then we have a special artifact coming, which is um, 
the uh, shoe, the Caldwell shoes from Alden Caldwell, the 10 month old who was on board Titanic. Um, those will be in our Pigeon Forge location. And then we also have a pair of shoes going to the Branson location from the Kink family, Louisa Kink. Okay, so I would love to, that's perfect. I would love to dig in and start with the Caldwell family. Sure. And since you're getting an artifact of theirs, and you and I have talked about them before, uh, it's a very touching and moving story. So yeah, tell us a little bit about Alden Caldwell. I have a nephew named Alden, so he has a special uh, spot in my heart uh, for his name, but he was 10 months old. Yes. He boards with his parents who were coming back after working as missionaries yes. in, Bang- in Bangkok, but it was Siam back yes. then, right? Yeah. So yeah, t- tell us tell us a little bit about the Caldwells and um. Alden. So they were on contract at the school, but they actually broke contract because since Alden's birth, Sylvia, um, she was not well. Uh, her her health was not well. So they actually broke their contact their contract early to go back home to the United States because she was so unwell. Um, Alden's birth was never registered with the American consulate when he was born, and that. Uh, came up later on in his life because it was, you know, he his dual citizenship was questioned um, because he was born in Siam and it was never registered because she was ill and they were trying to get out of their contract. And I guess the ball just got dropped and um, oops. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. So his birth. So according to the United States, he, he was not born. He yeah. like his there. That, I'm sure that caused a lot of problems. For it him did. Later, later on yes. in his life, it, it absolutely <laughs> did cause a lot of problems. Um, he spent much of his time trying to prove it for his retirement and to get his Social Security benefits. So he did realize as an adult this was an issue, and so he had to work to get that. Um, the, the reason we came upon the artifacts that we're going to have is when he passed away um, in 1992, um, they found these a photo of his parents and him hold being held on the Titanic mm-hmm. and uh, the booties were in there as well. And a bunch so of news amazing. article, there were um, magazine clippings, news articles. And so that began the whole, like, this is, this is really important. We need to share this. And so we're very, very, very fortunate to have a great relationship with that family. And, and they are going to be on display at our Pigeon Forge ship. And you have, I know you've worked with, her name is Julie Hedgepath-Williams, correct? And she has written a book, and I'll make sure to link it in the show notes for everybody, but she has written a book called, what is it? Uh, The Rare Titanic Family. A Rare Titanic Family. I couldn't remember the adjective. Um, But she's... (laughs) I know she's worked with you guys before and y'all have a great relationship. So you guys have a like a network. We've talked to, we touched on it a little bit in previous episodes, but you guys have a network of descendants that oh, you yeah, absolutely. really work with. Yeah. We do. I think it's really important because, you know, the descendants, they obviously want their family to be remembered. And that's our entire mission is to keep Titanic and her passengers and her crew's memory alive. So it's a, it's a great partnership and it's one that we, always want to foster because you know we it benefits us both you know we all want that same goal so we are very thankful to her though she's fantastic to work with and I really hope um that uh, she will be able to make an appearance in March when we when we can 
can do the children's gallery. Ooh, so. that would be incredible. Oh, yeah. And of course, if there's any updates on that, I can just, you know, update, update everybody, show notes or social sure. media and that sort of thing and let them know. Uh, is there any sense of, and if you don't know the answer, that's fine. I don't know mm-hmm. the answer. Um, is there any sense of how Alden handled his status as as Titanic survivor headed into you know his adult his teen or adult life did he ever speak out about it was there was that something that he felt was an identity that he latched onto or I mean because I know with survivors especially kids that didn't have a memory of it it really tended to be one or the other so I was just curious if you had a, a sense of that I don't believe that he did. I don't, I need, because he was 10 months old, so I'm not quite sure he had much of a lasting impression other than what his dad would have said. Um, his dad yeah. was Albert, I believe. Yeah, Albert. Yes, I think it's Albert. Yeah. Um, I wonder yeah. if it was, I'm sure at that age, it was a lot of, uh, if they talked about it, just being told, <laughs> this, you know, just having the impression right. of of the, of the stories. But I know a lot of families kind of went the other route and didn't talk about things. Um, and so I know, uh, what was it? I think Melvina Dean, who was also a baby on Titanic, she often said that she didn't even know she was on Titanic until she was, what, like 12 or 14, yeah, I think, yeah. something like that. So, uh, yeah, I would be curious to know if Alden what – what a crazy thing to discover about yourself, you know, as right. you come of age and, and your parents finally tell you. I. I can't imagine what that feels like. Um, it's pretty it's pretty crazy like to have that weight dropped on you and you didn't know. Yeah, I think he might have struggled more with the not being registered with the consulate than the Titanic thing. Because <laughs> That's true. That in a practical sense. Well, and also, I mean, also their entire family unit survived, which is yeah. very rare in the story of Titanic, which is why the title of the book is what it is. And their family, I'm sure, was eternally grateful that all three of them managed to survive. And they went on to have another child, I believe, right? They At did. Least they one had more. one more child. Yeah. Um, and then... Um, they actually separated. And so uh, Sylvia did remarry. Yeah, Yeah, I did see that. And I think it was like 1930. Um, Well, you know, for me, another, it's sort of a parallel. I recently did a lot of research on Ruth Becker, um, a child survivor, sort of similar situation in that her family were missionaries coming back early from missionary experience. Uh, in that case, it was because Ruth's younger brother was ill. Uh, so again, an illness that sort of cut short a missionary um, journey. And she, though, was sort of the opposite experience. You know, Alden was the baby. Ruth was on the cusp of teenagehood. Mm-hmm. And so she remembered a lot, obviously. And what's interesting is that she didn't speak about it until she was much older. I think her children didn't know that she was on Titanic until they were in their early 20s. Oh, wow. So she was very, yeah, yeah, she was very, very silent about it. And I, I think that there was this deep well of trauma. If you watch videos of Ruth Becker and you can see them when she's, you know, she's older, but she's in these videos from the 70s and 80s. Um, and when she's finally talking about it, there's this deep well of trauma she's tapping into. And it's so emotional to watch. But I think about her as a 12-year-old on board. What, what, have you ever talked at the museum about this or, or like, what was, 
I kind of wanted to give people a sense of what life was like for kids on Titanic. And, Mm -hmm. you know, heading into the year of the child, do you guys have any insight and any research you've you've done about just what life looked like on the ship? You know, like Ruth Becker's in, in second class. I've heard a little bit about the library being a popular place, especially for the older kids. But there weren't a lot of dedicated, there were no dedicated kid spaces on right. Titanic. So I didn't know if you guys I had come across know, any info. I do know one thing and it, and, and it's not Ruth Becker's perspective particularly. Oh, that's fine. Yeah. It's the, the Coates family, the Coates. Um, he, oh yeah. William, William is his name. William Coates. Mm-hmm. Um, I know he had like a little band of boys that he kind of said that he would hang out with. I've heard this. Yeah. And they got kicked out of the smoking room like three times. So I yeah. would imagine that <laughs> while it wasn't a kid friendly place, you know, kids have a way of finding their limits. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and entertaining scared. themselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, we and listeners, we are both speaking as moms of of young kids. Uh, yeah, children mm-hmm. children tend to find a way to become like turn anything into like monkey bars yeah. and climbing things. I climbing find her. as well. Yeah. Um, was that was that the same band that Frank Goldsmith would yes. have run in? Okay. Yes. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Do you want to? We've mentioned Frankie before, but since I know you guys obviously have worked with his descendant as well and and have a relationship there. I just maybe let's like touch on him just a tiny bit to give a refresher if you want to remind people because he is uh one of the third class children survivors and yes. goes on to live such a long life. Uh yeah. so yeah, let's remind listeners a little bit about him. He's um, fantastic to talk so there, about. Again, and, and it's just as we were saying before, illness kind of pushed them on the Titanic as well. Um Frankie's little brother had recently passed away from diphtheria. So they were moving to America, too. So it, it, it goes right along with the other stories that, you know, that kind of a an illness, a tragedy pushed them towards a new path in America. Um, and so, yeah, Frankie, it, um, the Co- William Coates had mentioned that Frankie was sort of in that boys gang. And like I can imagine I have my kids and the neighbor's kids and um, there's only one little girl in the whole mix. And I can kind of I see them out playing and I can imagine that it was the same sort of. Um, relationships on Titanic. You know, they're outside playing. They're they're trying to come up with games. I could see them all, you know, running around on the deck and trying to sneak in the smoking room to hear what the adults are saying. <laughs> yeah, that's. Oh, I hadn't thought about it that way. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of climbing going on. I'm sure there were mm-hmm. a lot of parents uh, very anxiously you know, worrying, is my child going to like fall over the rail because they're climbing on these things? I I think it's the classic example of, you know, times change, people don't. And yeah, absolutely. I, and I think one thing we forget so easily, even I do sometimes, is that especially for, you know, these third class passengers that perhaps it was the nicest accommodations and the nicest food and some of the one of the nicest places they'd ever physically stayed in before the iceberg. I mean, there was probably a lot of joy and excitement. So much, yeah. Right? I mean, they're they're excited about where they're going, but they're they're living in luxury compared to where they have been living before. So I'm sure these children are in a good mood and their parents are probably in a pretty good mood. Absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of them the food itself, you would have to normally pack your own uh food for that type of voyage. And so for third class to have meals prepared for them. Mm-hmm what? <laughs> they weren't used to that. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, and and trying new foods. I uh, I was recently uh, been developing an episode on the Atta Girl fourteen, and uh, which I know you guys know all about. I featured the Irish so much in their story. Um, and the one of the documentaries about them, there's this scene where there's a reenactment and one of them is trying a banana for the first mm-hmm. time, I think. And yeah. I just, I mean, it's a little cheesy, but I also was like, that's such a good scene because that is probably the kind of thing that yeah. would have been going on is, hey, does anybody want to try a banana for the first time? <laughs> like, it, they're like, that's, but again, like pre-iceberg, you know, there just, there wouldn't have been any sense of... Um, foreboding or, you know, they just were in this, in this situation, um, kind of grabbing up every new experience that they could. Um, So I think it's uh, really amazing that you're going to have the the Caldwell artifact. And then what was the the artifact that's going to Branson? What what family was that that you mentioned? Um, So we will have the kink family shoes, but that won't be until June. We do have an artifact there now that's one of my favorite artifacts from the west family um and it i know you know the story of the thermos of milk um yes tell it but but listeners i've never i mean i don't think this has ever come up on the pod so please tell this story yes (laughs) it is it's one of my favorite stories um and uh, we have a lady named phoebe first classmate phoebe in branson and she tells it so beautifully i i will pale in comparison so if you want to hear the best then you have to visit the branson ship and have phoebe and ask for phoebe (laughs) phoebe to tell you about the thermos from the west family um they were traveling together the mother's actually expecting and i believe constance was 10 months old um barbara was the older sister hang on i have in my notes which one was older so the West family, Constance West was actually four years old and Barbara okay. West was 10 months old and they are both in second class. Um, okay. and they're traveling with their mother and their father. And I, I, I wish I knew more about the father, but his name is like, his name is Edwy. Edwy, not Edwin, Edwy. Mm-hmm. Edwy. Okay. And um, so they're traveling back home, back to America. They want to go to Florida. Uh, so they're, they're all traveling on the Titanic. Um, the baby Barbara is only 10 months old. Um, they wake up, they go to the deck, they're pushed onto a lifeboat and Barbara is crying and crying and crying. And they, they realize She's hungry. She's 10 months old. Mm-hmm. She's, that's why she's inconsolable. She's hungry. So the dad says, I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Well, while he's gone back to his stateroom, I mean, they've left everything. So he goes back to the stateroom. Um, and while he's gone, the officers go ahead and push them into a lifeboat. And by the time he gets back to the deck, they're lowering the lifeboat. And there he is. And he says, wait, 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 I, I need to give them something. You know, I, I have to give my family this. And the officer says, well, I guess you're going to have to climb down. So he actually climbs down the davit, like leans over and climbs to the davit and hands Which him- is not easy. No, it's not easy. I, can't, mm-hmm. I can't climb, period. I mean, no. If my life had depended on that, I think I would have just jumped and hoped for the best. Yeah, probably. I, I can't imagine yeah. do, leaning out like you're you're over the edge of the boat and, and you're mm-hmm. on a little rope and you're hand, and he pulls in his in his coat and he pulls out a thermos of warm milk for um for Barbara and Constance and the mom, uh, which I thought, wow, what a father, you know, <laughs> and then he Told gets the- back on the boat and he does not survive. Um, but 
that thermos did last in the family. They actually did go to the United States and then they turned around and went right back to England. The mother was not having it. Um, she did give birth to a little baby and her name is Edwina. Oh my goodness. I think I forgot that detail. That's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So she was how far? So she was, she was um, pregnant on the ship. She was, she was so. expecting. And then Edwina was born in September of 1912. Oh, so she was already pretty far along she when she was on Titanic. Along, yeah. Her name was Edwina Joan. So that's pretty. And, and Ada the thermos. The thermos the lasted thermos. throughout the family. It stayed on the mantle. Um, and when when we tell the story, you know, you know, you look at that thermos and you think that man's last thought on this earth was to take care of his daughters. Mm-hmm. And to the so very end, yeah. They can they can live their whole life knowing, even though because you know Barbara was ten months old, she's not going to have many Never, memories. No, that's two of the, yeah, and the four year old probably remembers very little as well. I would imagine. So but that, that thermos symbolized so. so much. You know, his last act in this world was was a selfless act to make sure his daughters were taken care of. So what a like what a what an example. What a you know mm-hmm. how can you live up to that. <laughs> It's so moving, I, especially if you think about and and we're coming off the weekend where the 97 movie was re-released in theaters and, you know, seeing that in 3D and the I think James Cameron does such an amazing job of showing those scenes where the kids, you know, kids are being separated from their parents um, and the, the terror and the trauma of that. And I, I was thinking about it watching the movie that there are so many children that that was their last glimpse of their father was, you know, coming down in a lifeboat off of Titanic. And imagine the PTSD of that, especially if you were, say, four or five and over, and you could really remember it well. Uh, That's a very specific type of trauma. It just brings tears to my eyes. I can't even imagine. But in that situation, what a beautiful notion that even in the middle of all of that chaos and panic, Mm -hmm. that their last you know, kind of memory slash knowledge of their father is that he was calm under pressure and just intent on making sure his children were okay. Like that just, I'm like crying. That's yeah. It's, (laughs) It's I really, this is, this is why I do this. I, it's, it's just, it's crazy. It's like every time I think Titanic has made me cry for the last time, I'm (laughs) right back with tears. Well, you know, it's, it's, you have to be very cautious because it is a very heartbreaking story and there are so many children that did not survive. So it, it, you have to be very cautious. It's a fine line, but we think it's really important to show the the hope and the courage and resilience that all mm. children have, not just on Titanic, but you know, it's the human nature. We're we're so resilient as a people that sometimes, you know, it's just overwhelming to to know what they went through that night and, and then they mm-hmm. carried on with their lives. Um, you know, you just it's mm. so hard to think what would you have done? Like, what would I have done? What would my children do if we were in that kind of tragedy? How would they move forward from that and, and have very fulfilling lives? Um, mm-hmm. It's just, and the choices you, you don't have a choice, you know, it's, yeah. it's it, oftentimes the question is, Oh gosh, I, I wonder how someone moved on from mm-hmm. fill in the blank trauma, but as humans, mm-hmm. we have no choice, you yeah. know, especially if you're a parent, you have to just keep trudging forward if, you know, and, and there's so many, um, 
wives and mothers that never imagined they would be single wives and mothers uh, with multiple children under the age of five or it just, yeah, it, it blows my mind. Uh, I was thinking about um, kind of back to the Caldwells for just a second. That story made me think of when I read about them, which is that um, baby Alden, I guess, was kind of bored. And, you know, at that age, a 10-month-old isn't walking and talking yet, but they're active. They're 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 kind of like that bouncing baby phase you think mm-hmm. of when you think of baby. And apparently he uh, they gave him keys to play with. And he was playing with the keys of their trunk where they had all of their valuables and I think blankets and his coat. And so when it came time uh, of the sinking and they were urgently trying to get everything together to get up, uh, they couldn't find the keys to the trunk because he had lost them. Like he had, he was playing with them and he had put them somewhere. And of course, in the panic and chaos, they, you know, not going to take the time to look for trunk keys. And so they just wrapped him in blankets instead. Mm-hmm. But as I guess his coat, like his little baby coat was in the yeah. trunk. So that's why he was wrapped in blankets and not a in a coat. coat, which that story just, you know, it's the little human moments yeah. that played out that are so moving. And one it, with the blankets, you're exactly right. Like I've, I've, we've read that his feet were exposed, like the blankets, his little oh, foot. Yeah. And so he was crying incessantly in the lifeboat and they were you know trying to calm him down until someone noticed his little feet his little baby feet were cold and they covered him up and he calmed down once his little feet got warm he just had cold feet and he couldn't talk or say anything about it it's just yeah I mean and and no one stopped being human in those moments I mean that's that I was thinking about that watching the film this weekend too that even you know it was two and a half hours and even though all of this chaotic stuff is going on there's still human moments. Maybe right. someone had to go to the bathroom. Maybe, you know, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, it's it was enough time, which is, I think, you know, the main reason that we all are so, um, for lack of a better word, obsessed with still trying to figure out every bit of everyone's story is because of that two and a half hours. I think for titaniacs like us, I think we're obsessed with trying to fill in every moment that we can yeah. to try to understand what happened. Absolutely. Um, this is great. I'll, you know, and 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 in the intro I'm going to record, I'll probably have included some of these details. But um, I wanted to know, see if you had the number correct on this. So I saw in some places it was 73 third class children, but then another source said 89. Do you have the correct number on that? And we can edit this out if, well, if you have to. Hang Do on. You. Let me get to my handy dandy. I wanted to see what you guys had because I have two very conflicting numbers based on what I've... I have a whole section for children. I have that there were 98 third-class children. 98? Okay, I see both numbers. Okay. And I think, uh, let's see, I have 11, no, I'm sorry, 26 in second class and 11 in first class. I have have? 7 in first class, 27 in second class, and 98 in third class, and 3 in the crew because... Okay, I I do have the 3 in the, because 3 were... Child age, yes, has ha, doesn't get touched on at all. I don't think pe- most people know that that's the case. And I know you guys have some, you know, mentioned that in your display at the museum, and it really is heartbreaking to look at numbers. Um, I think when we talk in general about children on Titanic, at least my brain, especially as a mom, 
tends to sort of gravitate towards the stories where the children survived, everything was fine. But it's, you know, when you look at those numbers, it's it's very heartbreaking to uh, realize how many uh, did not make it. I I want to touch on a story that a lot of listeners ask about because it's been the subject of um, a fiction, a, a novel really written by Celia Emery. I know that's very popular among my listeners. That's Orphans of the Storm. And it's also a very sort of sensationalist story to come out of Titanic and one that gets talked about a lot. And that's of two little boys that did survive, but their father did not. And that is the Nov- is it Navratil. Am I pronouncing that correctly? From what I know, yes. Okay. Okay. Um, so, you know, I would love to hear a little bit about them. I, you know, I will be doing an episode on them at some point. People ask about it all the time, right. but it's it's such a compelling story. So I know you and I had mentioned them. Yeah. Maybe just a little bit about, about them because they're they're probably the two most famous children. Oh, yeah. Uh, coming yeah. off Titanic. And if you talk about, um, you know, we we talk about resilience and losing your parent and how traumatic that would be to lose one parent. Um, Imagine having no one because the Navratil boys were um, and their little photo is so cute. You know, if you if you want to see the photo, we have it here, but you can also find it online. Uh, They look like cherubs and they look like twins and they're often called the twins, but they are a year apart. They are not. actual twins um, yeah I think M- Michelle is what we've decided we will, how we will pronounce it um. yes <laughs> listeners here's some here's some uh, backstory behind the scenes we were deciding how to um, we'd seen it Michael or Michelle but they were going to honor of the true French yes uh, background here and say Michelle yeah it's Edmund and Michelle correct yes he was okay. two and Edmund was three so um you know, the, there was a, a, a separation between mom and dad. Um, dad had the kids over Easter <laughs> and dad takes the kids and decides he's going to abscond with them without the mother's knowledge. So he leaves and gets on Titanic. And of course, the worst thing that could happen happens. And uh, here he is with these two little boys and he's not allowed on a lifeboat. And he tries to explain, you know, they have, it's me. This is all they have. Um, and another passenger, Margaret Hayes, first yes. class passenger, Margaret Hayes, actually offered to look after them until he got on another boat and they would they would um, reconnect and she would return the boys to him when they were all safe. Um, as we know, that did not happen. Um, he did not make it. The father did not make it. And the twin boys were actually with Margaret Hayes. And I believe she even offered to be their caretaker um, if they're, if they were never reunited, but it was 1912. How are you going to, um, how, how would you go about finding their from a and they're, I mean, and <laughs> yeah, and it's a two, and, and I'll tell you, I mean, I have, and my kids are that close together. Uh, and so at one point, I did have a two and a three year old, and I'm going to tell you, they're not going to tell you any correct information. <laughs> yeah. If you are trying to get correct information out of a two year old, 
you have about a yeah. 2% chance on any given question. So yeah, imagine trying to get information out of them, trying to figure out, they may not even have been able to say their names properly at that point. Yeah. So yeah, that was a, a an abysmal sort of experience, I'm sure, trying to figure out who they were. Yes, absolutely. And I believe, I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I, I say this correct. I do believe that the mother did find them because of a news article. Yes, she that's opened, what I've that's what I've always heard. She yeah. opened the news article and saw that you know there's there's my bait. Can you imagine as a mom, you know you you know your children are gone, and you hear about Titanic, but she didn't really know they were on Titanic. You know, she just how would she have known? She just thought they were away with their father. Away with their father. Mm -hmm. And then you open a paper and you see your child's phone. Can you imagine opening that paper and seeing? And you're an ocean away. And you're an ocean away. It's not like if it happened today and you were in Pigeon Forge and this was happening in Austin, like – get to that Knoxville airport as fast as you can and get to, you know, it's not, it's not going to reunite, like reuniting isn't going to happen the same day. If, If you open up that newspaper and you realize what's going on, you've got to try to get in touch with the right people. You've got to send a wireless. You've got to get a ticket on a boat. And then you have to spend the entire six day voyage. Not knowing, are my kids safe? Who are they with right now? What happened? I, I mean, it's really probably one of the biggest miracles to come out of that night Absolutely. that they were reunited. Yeah. I, I I don't know. It is a miracle. It is. And it doesn't make any sense, but thank God that it did happen. Um, I do know that uh, Michelle became a doctor, I do believe. Um, oh, yeah. I, think I, I remember reading this. And yeah. Of- and I think one of them... I'll I'll have to look it up and put it, this all in the show notes. Um, but one of them lived to be very old. At least one of them, right, lived mm-hmm. to be very old. And I believe there are – I covered in my Joseph LaRoche episode, but I believe there was a reunion of the Navatil, Navratil boys um, or at least one of them with one of the LaRoche girls because they were both very, very small children on Titanic. And I believe that there was an event in France in the 80s or 90s where wow. they did re- they did reunite. And I believe there are photos. Uh, so I'll have to link that in the show notes, listeners, if I find that. But yeah, I think I don't, obviously they were too young to have remembered each other on board, but I do think there was a Titanic event in the eighties where they got to come together and meet one another and talk about, you know, obviously having this very similar experience. The LaRoche girls were also very small, also very close in age. And, uh, and then obviously their father was lost in the sinking. So I imagine, you know, coming off of that experience, one in a million kind of experience to be able to connect with other people that actually came from that same background and came from that same trauma. That's probably a very like rewarding thing to get to sit down and have a conversation with someone that went through that exact same experience as you did. Um, I'll have to, I'll have to find that photo. I think there is a photo. So Michelle was the last surviving male Titanic survivor. Okay. And when he passed, it left the four female. Um, survivor. That's right. And it's, it was, of course there was Melvina Dean, which we, you know, don't have time to touch on her whole story, but well, of course she was the, the very last survivor, right, uh, yes. to pass away, and she was a tiny infant on Titanic. Nine weeks, and, I believe. 
So yeah, baby. brand new. Yeah. I can't even imagine, uh, you know, thinking about these women on board that were had either birthed or they were pregnant. But I did read, I did read, and actually I read this going through some of the Caldwell research um, to bring it full circle. I read that because Titanic was so large, there were there were starting there was starting to be this sense that because the ships were getting bigger, seasickness was not as much of a concern. Because I know with the Caldwells. Oh gosh, we have to mention this. They were supposed to be, or they originally were going to be on Carpathia. Yes. Mm-hmm. So then they, so they, they're coming back from um, Siam and going through the channels where I think they stop over in Naples. Yes. And they almost buy tickets to get on Carpathia, which of course would later become Titanic's rescue ship. But because it was not as large, they were concerned about Sylvia getting sick. Yep. And she obviously that's the reason they were traveling. She was ill. And so when they heard about Titanic, they actually chose that so that they would be on this bigger liner and the seasickness would be less. And based on what I heard from Julie Hedgepath Williams and what she was saying about the stories passed down in her family, that that was true, that Sylvia hadn't experienced as much seasickness because it was so big. So that, I mean, we think about Titanic and the development of these liners. You know, it's all sorts of things. It's things like that, that like prior to these larger liners, seasickness was a real problem and then became less of one. I mean, it's still a problem for me when I get on me a boat or a ship. I take it very ill. So um, yeah, we were on we were on a ferry uh, last summer uh, from Dublin over to Wales, and it was only I think it was three or four hours. And everybody else in my family was fine. You know, John's drinking a beer. And I'm just, I, I didn't even want to admit that I felt gross, but I just was sort of sitting there like, yeah, everything's fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. So I just sort of dealt with it. Yeah. <laughs> I was almost embarrassed. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, for for a pregnant woman, it's just interesting to think about what is life like on Titanic for someone that's pregnant? You'd never think about, at least, you right. know, I have to remind myself to think about these little human questions too. Absolutely. Yeah. I I 100% share your sentiment because I am always seasick. I get car sick. I can't imagine. Oh, no. <laughs> I get car sick on long car That's my like, son. Yeah. My, my, my poor son. Another quick, yeah, another quick Ireland story. We were, we had a rental car and we were tracing pretty much the whole outline of Ireland. Uh, amazing experience, but those are winding roads and my son was he had a he had a we had a couple of rough days in the car yeah. um we stopped at the irish equivalent of target it's called duns mm-hmm. and had to buy lots of extra towels lots of uh, extra dramamine. clothing i swear yeah, we did yeah we did use dramamine um well this has been this has been wonderful obviously there are so many children's stories mm-hmm. on titanic to tell we only touched on a few and and obviously the most heartbreaking thing is that many did not make it right. and of course those stories are important to remember as well so your museum is doing an incredible job of keeping these stories alive and as you said always have featured children in your stories and and in your artifacts but this year year of the child it's forefronted, which I think is is amazing. So, you know, March 1st, and 
it runs through so this theme runs through the whole year oh yeah mm-hmm. toward December okay yeah, wonderful absolutely. and um is there anything I mean this has been great is there anything else that you would love listeners to know about what you guys are going to be doing at the locations or um, um yeah just any other announcements or thoughts uh we don't have anything going on at the ships right now other than the new children galleries uh, we will have some exciting things going on the week of the um, anniversary of the sinking so april 10th uh, just keep an eye out online on our social media our website um, and okay. we will release more details of those as we have them um, but thank you so much for having me i always of enjoy course. talking and um Yeah, getting out there with you. Thank you. All right. A few follow-up details on some of the families and children that we mentioned. The Caldwell family, the book that we speak of is called Rare Titanic Family, and I will include a link in the show notes. If it is available on Bookshop, I will make sure to put that in one of my lists on Bookshop. And if you shop for Titanic books via my link on Bookshop, you support independent booksellers and you support the pod. So that's, I always love when I can uh, find the books available on there and uh, put them on the lists. Okay, Ruth Becker Blanchard, who I mentioned in the episode that I was doing research on, that was for a bonus episode on Patreon. So that is live. That was the January episode for Patreon. If you're a member there, hop on over and you can listen to it. If not, I mean, that's a really good example of the kind of episodes that are bonus episodes on Patreon. So that's a full profile on her. All right. Very importantly, I wanted to go over the children crew members of Titanic, their stories. I did a little a little bit further research after I talked to Emily and just fair warning, it's a little heartbreaking, but I just thought it was really important to say their names. And I want to thank Emily because she followed up after the call with some information on them. And then I, I decided to put a little profile together. So the crew members, uh, there were three of them. I originally only thought there were two before I talked to Emily. And after obviously speaking with them and the museum has such wonderful research all put together. Uh, and then uh, looking around online. It's definitely three. So Arthur Barrett, he was a bellboy, which is insane to think about these young kids being bellboys, especially if we visualize that bellboy scene in the 1997 movie when Rose throws the bellboy against the door and makes him go down even in the water to the lower decks and the water is like spilling in uh, to the elevator. So Arthur Barrett was 15 at the time, by my best calculations. He was from Southampton. He had left school already and had worked in a print shop also. Again, this is crazy to think about, but it was common at the time for boys to start working this early. Uh, They didn't continue with school. They typically left school around age 11, 12 uh, in working class families. Many of the officers on Titanic and other crew had also begun on ships when they were 13, 14. Again, really common. Quartermaster Sidney Humphreys reported that during the sinking, the bellboys, because we're going to, I'll mention there were two more of them, they were young, were herded to their regular posts in the main cabin entry. And they were sort of put under the charge of a leading steward, steward and remained at one spot. We're sort of assigned to remain at one spot so that they wouldn't get in the way and maybe they could be watched over and protected. Uh, They waited patiently, according to Humphreys, and then were eventually released. Uh, I I suppose that the steward in charge of them realized there really wasn't anything to do but sort of wait, as everybody was. um, And they were not considered, they were technically children, 
uh, aka under the age of 18, but they were not considered children for the lifeboats in the eyes of the crew because they were they were part of the crew, unfortunately. So it's hard to reconcile that, at least as a parent. I have I have a son who's eight going on nine. So he's only five years younger than some of these boys. And in my mind, if a ship was going down, he's a child and should get on a boat. So Anyway, it's a very difficult thing to reconcile in the brain. Um, Humphreys said that the bellboys were seen smoking and joking with passengers at some point during the sinking. So again, like a lot of people that night, probably didn't realize how serious the situation was. So unfortunately, Arthur Barrett did pass away in the sinking in Uh, There was a memorial that was published in his paper, quote, in ever loving memory of Arthur, who went by Archie, it says in parentheses, the dearly beloved and only son of Arthur and Margaret Barrett, aged 15 years. As we gaze at your picture that hangs on the wall, your smile and your welcome, we often recall. We miss you and mourn you in sorrow unseen and dwell on the memory of days that have been so I mean, we have to say these names. We have to tell these stories. Another bellhop, William Watson, who lived in an Islington, an inner suburb of London, with his large family, though his mother had apparently passed away when he was three or four years old. Uh, the census records are a little spotty. His father was described as a sanitary inspector. William, on one of the census uh, records, was described as a schoolboy. So based on those dates, he probably left school in the summer of 1911 and went to sea, which, again, very common. He worked as a bellboy on the Olympic before Titanic. So he had a history with White Star Line. And like so many boys in this situation, he probably left home to ease the burden on the household and to send money back. Uh, Another boy was Frederick William Hopkins, known as Fred. He was also 15. I, For all three of these boys, you will see their age listed sometimes as 14 and sometimes as 15. But when you do the math, they were born in 1897, which really leans them all towards closer to 15. But that doesn't change how devastating any of this is. So um, Frederick Hopkins, Fred, had also worked on Olympic Previously, his father, Alfred, was in the British Army and had been posted to India for several years, also a spell in South Africa and then back to India. So Fred had lived in all of these places. He'd lived all over the world based on the research that I saw. So uh, anyway, it was there was evidence that his family had accompanied him for chunks of this service. Um, Fred's father was discharged in 1907 at the rank of Sergeant Trumpeteer, and this is interesting, then became caretaker for the offices of the White Star Line, and the family were residents on Fanshawe Street in Southampton. So it's you dig, and even a little bit, and these stories are all so interconnected. Uh, so Fred left school the summer of 1911, it looks like, and went to work at sea. His position probably, you know, a helped along by his father's connection to White Star Line. Fred was also a Boy Scout and was a patrol leader in the 20th Southampton group, of which he was a popular member. He um, was listed in, in in one site, I think it was Encyclopedia Cyclopedia Titanica, as a plate steward, but then I also saw him listed as a bellboy. So I'm not sure, or he might have done both. So his memorial is pretty long, I'm going to read it. It was published in the paper. It looks like on April 17th, I believe, uh, his local paper. I I really think it's important to 
uh, read this out loud. So, quote, among the local Titanic victims was leader Fred Hopkins, age 14, of the 20th Southampton St. Lawrence Troop. And just cutting in here to say, again, these ages I see sometimes listed as 14 and sometimes as 15. It's just not clear. Hopkins, who lived in Fanshawe Street, Southampton, was employed in the liner's pantry. He had, so plate steward seems most likely, most likely correct on that. He had a number of voyages on other liners. He was probably the most popular boy in his troop, and the following appreciation has been written by his scoutmaster, Mr. J. Mew. We all feel sure that Fred at the last would give his own life to save another. He was a through scout in every sense, always ready to lend a helping hand. The youngest boy to the eldest in the troop was proud of Fred. Only last summer, he was dressing in the swimming baths and a man near the diving table was calling for help. There were several about, but while they were hesitating what to do, Fred was out to him and assisted him till the attendants brought the boat. He left his chums to tell the tale, and all I got from him was that he was doing his duty. He was very fond of swimming and gained several certificates at life-saving and swimming classes and took great interest in teaching and helping the younger boys to swim. Fred was a first-class scout and had gained his full number of badges for his king's badge. Every boy in the troop will miss him. He was kind and gentle and would go a long way to assist another human being. I only wish he had more scouts made of we had more scouts made of the same metal as Fred Hopkins was. We may be quite sure that Fred, who is our affection on earth, will find a safe haven. (sighs) That should not have had to have been written about a 14-year-old boy. (laughs) That's just heartbreaking. Um, I, these, these little nuggets that, that I find when I do research, um, are so, it's just mind, mind blowing. Oh, sorry. Feeling emotional. Okay. The Navratil boys who I speak of, uh, I will see if I can find a copy of that photo of one of the Navratil boys with one of the LaRoche uh, sisters. And if I do, I will get that in the show notes as well. You know, it's, it's just so important to say these names, tell these stories. There are so many stories and some are almost too much to take, like little Fred Hopkins, But every time we tell them those people live in our memories and in the universe everywhere with all of us a little bit longer. So say the names, tell the stories, make sure if you're able to get to one of the Titanic museums to see these artifacts, to celebrate the year of the child, to celebrate, as Emily and I spoke about, the hope and the resiliency and bravery of children. And as a parent, I can tell you it's true. We we underestimate kids. I see it through my own kids all the time. They are capable of such compassion. They are capable of such bravery. They are capable of having hard conversations. They are capable of resiliency. And uh, yeah, I think it's pretty amazing that the museums are taking the entire year to meditate on the children that were on board. All right. What else? I think I think that I covered all the announcements. As always, make sure you are subscribed to the pod on your listening platform of choice. If you have a quick second, a rate, a review, 
goes a long way to help the pod. It really, really does. I will see you again soon for a new episode on Lucille Lady Death Gordon, which has been a huge listener request. And finally, it's coming. Uh, And then after that episode, I'm going to be on a little bit of a brief hiatus. I'll be doing some travel, but I've got lots of exciting stuff coming down the pipeline and can't wait to share it with you. So There we go. Have a fantastic week and I will talk soon. Bye guys.